It is a tremendous blessing to know of you, to know of this congregation, to know personally several of you, and it's been a great blessing for our family to come your way uh, every couple of years and spend some time with you, whether it be through your vacation Bible school or whether it be through a summer series or even uh, some of your, your, your camps that you engage in. Uh, Several of our congregation at Coming will be going to Camp Inagehi this year. It's the first year that we'll be going in an official capacity as a congregation. And uh, it's the first year uh, ours, uh, our children that is, are old enough that they are qualified enough to be able to go. And uh, we are looking forward to that experience. They are really looking forward to that experience. And uh, it's just a tremendous blessing to be able to a fellowship together to know one another, to encourage one another. And uh, you all are in our prayers continually. Uh, we mention you uh, throughout our uh, addressing our Father, whether it be before meals or whether it be just in our daily life as a family. Uh, we're mindful of you as a congregation over there and coming. And we know you are mindful of us as well, and we're grateful for that and encouraged by that. I'm so thankful uh, for this topic this summer as you all are looking at a more excellent name, as it was mentioned just a few minutes ago, coming out of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. And of course, you're familiar with the book of Hebrews. Uh, you're familiar with the uh, overall uh, concept that's being addressed within the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He has a better priesthood. He has a better message. He has a better sacrifice time and time again. We get that message that Jesus is better. And obviously in today's time, in our current culture, our current situation, uh, we probably do not relate as much to the book of Hebrews as the audience who received that letter was able to relate to it. I haven't met really anyone who came out of Judaism or is uh, really actively faithfully engaged in Judaism the way in which it was prescribed in the Old Testament. And I am in no way saying that the letter of the book of Hebrews is not applicable. It absolutely is. But I want us to translate it over for just a moment and make it applicable to us today and contemplate the ways in which Jesus is better, a more excellent name, that of Jesus, comparative to what society has to offer. All of us are familiar with society. All of us are really students of culture. Whether we are students of culture uh, because of intentionality, we actually enjoy studying culture, we enjoy recognizing various attributes of culture and what it is that makes society tick. Whether it be maybe that we are in certain professions where culture matters, whether it be within our own organization or uh, maybe the industry that we're in, or whether we're just parents. And we're very sensitive and mindful as to what's going on in the world today, maybe grandparents, so that we can make sure that we're instructing our children, we're teaching our young people, we're empowering them with the message that they require to combat all of the darts that Satan is throwing against us, trying to discourage us today. And in that vein, in that light, let us contemplate together this evening the more excellent name of Jesus comparative to that of society, of secularism, of humanism, of the ideals that our current generation 
would put before us. And the theme for this evening is a more excellent name in that our Lord is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. You look at uh, what Isaiah records for us as we see in Isaiah chapter 9 and in verse 6. And of course we see this, this description being given regarding our Lord. He is the Prince of Peace. Well, society has an alternative for us. There is uh, a view that is the antithesis of that which Jesus offers that we all understand from a practical perspective, but maybe we don't necessarily systematize it every day. We don't point it out and recognize and say, hey, here is what is being delivered to us. Several years ago at uh, the congregation in Cumming, we had a young men's leadership class And we were studying a book by Joe Wells called Game Plan. And we were looking at this book, and uh, Brother Wells laid out the history of how we got to where we got to today as it relates to our culture and our society. And he makes it crystal clear by study, by research, by various quotes that he pulls from all over, that we are in the midst of the society that we are in, not by accident, by intention. As a matter of fact, by strategic, careful consideration and application by the powerful of society as it's been planned and carried out over the last several decades. We have what we have today. Our kids are being taught, influenced, fed what they're being fed today, not by accident. But there is a system to it. There's a pattern to it. And one of the claims is that their approach, the approach of society, of the secular world, the ideology that they would champion, is better than that of the gospel. And that includes the very topic of peace. They get the idea and the concept and they try to promote it that the peace they offer is a peace that is more superior to that of religion, of any kind of religion, of the gospel, of the purity of Christ, of the church of our Lord. Well, I submit to you, as I'm sure you would ascribe to, that the name of Jesus, the title, the attribute, the description of Jesus as Prince of Peace, is better. It's a more excellent name than that which society would put forth. And so we're going to look at a few points this evening, and we're going to notice some substitutes for the gospel, some substitutes for Jesus compared to what it is our Savior has to offer, and we're going to do a comparison point by point. Let's begin by noticing the point of God and man. The relationship between the divine, the relationship between deity and mankind. We know that our Lord is the essential element and source as to how we can access the Father. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But see, Jesus was different than previous 
priesthoods. Even different than the priesthood that was authorized under the Old Testament system. And the Hebrews writer will actually point this out in chapter 4. Notice with me beginning here in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Uh, brethren, we are employees, <laughs> more than just employees. Our very lifestyle, our very identity, our very profession, what it is that defines us is rooted in Jesus Christ. And he is our high priest. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 15. In other words, this isn't one of the pompous, arrogant high priests of the Old Testament system. This isn't an individual who put himself above everyone else, lorded over everyone else, acted as though he was completely and entirely removed from all the ills of mankind, but instead completely was integrated with mankind, yet without sin. And so he's able to identify with us in that he knows exactly what we go through. He's not removed from it. He's not off in some mountain all by himself when he came to this earth. No, he was present. He was engaged, but all the while without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we don't know where to turn, <laughs> when we don't know how we're going to be able to cope, be able to put one foot in front of another, we can, through Jesus, go to our God. And we can do so boldly because of his sacrifice. Now, brethren, the substitute that the world offers is not this. The substitute the world offers is you ignore God. As a matter of fact, if you, quote, need God in your life, you just invent your own God. You just create for yourself little g gods. And you make sure that you give your respect and your allegiance to those ideologies, philosophies, images, identities, rather than the Almighty God. Well, that was tried. Everything this society today, I think it's a result of my own generation. I'm not proud of it, but I'm a member of the millennial generation. Sad, I know. But I think it's this idea that, you know what, everything that we come up with is brand new. Nobody's ever thought of homosexuality before. Nobody's ever thought of transgenderism before. Nobody's ever thought of idol gods before. Nobody's ever thought of intoxication and all the wicked lifestyles that this secular world puts before us. Guess what, folks? It's all been thought of before. Nothing new is under the sun. 
And we also are blessed by the graciousness of God to see the outcomes of those attempts. And we have a beautiful passage, of course, in Romans chapter 1. A substitute for man being at peace with the divine. What is it? Well, Paul lays it out for us by inspiration. Beginning there in verse 23, he writes, And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God says you're going to behave that way, you're going to suffer the consequences. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. A politician the other day got up and declared Jesus doesn't say anything about homosexuality. Oh, quite contrary. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into, quote, all truth. What does all truth mean? It means all truth. It means we have everything we need as delivered in the first century. Those words that Jesus is explaining in that chapter would come from the Father through Jesus to the Holy Spirit to those receiving it. So the words that Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 1 are the words of Christ. Now to the layman, to the one that's maybe not biblically inclined or in tune, to the unchurched, yes, only the red letters apply to Jesus. But to those of us who are studied and aware, that's not the case at all, folks. The New Testament consists of the words of Christ. As a matter of fact, those first three verses in Hebrews chapter 1, before we get to verse 4, where we learn that Jesus has a more excellent name, the Hebrews writer describes how in these latter times we now have been communicated by Jesus Christ. Mankind, thinking, innovating, coming up with the idea that peace can be found between human existence and the divine by simply just making up whatever God you want to make up, making up whatever ideology, behavior, lifestyle you want to make up and just follow after your heart. Don't hold back. Be who you truly are and you will be at peace. Uh, I have a question, folks. Is our world at peace? How's that humanistic ideology working? We have a mental health crisis that is more extreme than any time that we've ever known before in modern society. We have people who are not able to be at peace with their fellow neighbors to the point where if they don't 
get the last stick of gum at the convenience store, they beat down the individual that took it instead. Peace doesn't work out between men, and it certainly doesn't work out between man and God. The outcome of the substitute, Genesis chapter 19. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's crystal clear, folks. Jesus has a more excellent name. He is truly the prince of peace. See, God became man. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. And by God becoming man, he established the pathway by which we could have peace through him, with him. Paul writes in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, the shedding of his blood, his death, appeased the wrath of God. Have you ever dealt with one who was wrathful? My grandfather was in the agriculture business. Translated, he was a farmer. Still is. Can't see. Still golfs multiple times a week. I look up to him great man. He's not a Christian, but that old traditional American philosophy of life of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work hard. In raising my mother and my mother's fellow siblings, there were some days when there was a lot of stress. Money was tight, times were tough. Farming's tough anyway, period. I don't care how much technology you have, it's a difficult process. It requires manual, actual labor. There was one occurrence where one of the children was driving the tractor. Could barely reach the pedal, not of age at all, no way. Probably hadn't driven it very many times at all. But tractors aren't cheap. That tractor all of a sudden went into a ditch and hit a fence and it was done. Well, guess what? My pops was not happy. Well, my relatives had learned over time that when bad news came, it was better to leave a lot of room and a lot of time in hopes that that bad news would have a moment to cool off. And so rather than walking all the way up to the house and declaring the accident that occurred, they decided instead to just let him know from down there. Sure enough, after walking through all that pasture all the way down, the wrath was appeased. When it comes to mankind, in many contexts, wrath is appeased from those kinds of methods. 
For example, we will say things such as, time heals everything. What are we saying? We're saying a wrongdoing occurred plus time equals forgiveness, essentially. It doesn't work that way with God. God has an eternal mind. He is eternal. Every sin that we've committed, he's aware of. And so the wrath that we are deserving of because of our sin, the death that we are deserving of because of our sin, Romans 6 and verse 23, is a fearful thing. We are not at peace with God by ourselves. His wrath is upon us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I contemplate that, I'm interested in what options I have as to how that might be appeased. Because I want to be at peace with my Creator. Jesus Christ is the only source as to how the wrath of God is appeased. It's not granddad, it's not grandma. It's not how much money you got in the bank, not how many degrees you have, not how much you smile. None of that matters if you're outside of Christ. Jesus is the only source to appease, or the New Testament might translate it, to be the propitiation of our sins. And not just ours those also who are faithful under the Old Testament system. Paul will explain this. The book of Romans is oftentimes studied in law classes, at law schools. It's a phenomenal book just from an, a, a literature perspective, from a logical perspective. It's an incredible book. But it obviously is most meaningful to us spiritually. And Paul points out in chapter 3 and in verse 25, he writes, Whom God hath set forth, who is he referring to? Christ Jesus, verse 24, hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In other words, God himself is declared as righteous in that we are granted forgiveness because of the sacrifice of Christ. What was stated in the garden? That by partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. They knew that. What happened right after that? They didn't die, but all of a sudden they're wearing coats of skin. Something else died. And then throughout the Old Testament, lots of animals died. So how is it that God is going to allow man to be bought back and redeemed be at peace with him once again? How is it that God can be righteous from a justice perspective? Sacrifice of Christ. And only the sacrifice of Christ. We want peace with God. We need a more excellent name. A Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What about Jew and Gentile, point number two? Peace between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. You know, 
society in the first century was really broken down into these two categories. As a matter of fact, at work, oftentimes when we look at things from a global perspective, we'll talk about the U.S. and then we'll talk about Roe. What is Roe? Rest of world. In other words, as Americans, sometimes we see things as, hey, there's the Americans or the West, and then there's what? The rest of the world. Well, in the first century, it really boiled down to two categories. There was the Jew, and then there was the Greek or the Gentile. The one that was outside of that covenant relationship with God. And so Paul will explain in chapter 1 of Romans, and in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, that in and of itself is fascinating. Because that means God is not only redeeming back to himself his own people, those of the seed of Abraham, the Jew, but also the rest of the world, all other nationalities, all other peoples, just as he had promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. God said through his seed, that is the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, who did that come through? That was through Jesus Christ from the seed of Abraham. But not only is it fascinating that God allows all of mankind to be redeemed back to him, to be at peace with him, but likewise, mankind are able to be at peace with one another. You know, a few years ago, a, uh, one of our presidents had signed the Abraham Accords. And this was a fascinating treaty, a fascinating approach as to how the West would deal with the East. And the East would finally come to a point where they would reconcile some of their differences. You would have American, Western society, you would have what we call in today's geopolitical terms, the people of Israel, the country that is, and then you have the Islamic nations. Finding common ground. Now, obviously that was a triumph in that, hey, <laughs> folks even came to the table and signed something, that's fantastic. But here's the reality, we aren't in a situation where we have what every aspiring, influential person going for any type of contest will aspire toward, which is world peace. We're not anywhere close. Because those multiple classes of people still clash with each other. There are still issues, there's disagreements. And here's the thing, if you're familiar with the Middle East and some of the challenges that we've had even as American society in dealing with uh, Middle Eastern politics, a lot of it boils down to the fact that there is such deep-rooted history there, it doesn't matter how many decades you're present, it's going to be almost impossible to get folks to forget about what has happened over the last several hundred years. They just hang on to it and they don't forget. So finding peace with two classes of people that oppose each other, that have this kind of history, it's what every politician aspires toward, but guess what? It doesn't happen. But Jew and Gentile, we see the opportunity for peace. Now, the substitute that the world will offer is the coexist movement. 
the humanistic philosophy and ideology of coexisting with one another. And you've seen the bumper stickers, right? It's got the crescent moon. It's got the star of David, as we call it. It's got the, quote, Christian cross. And it's got all these other kinds of symbols to spell out the word coexist. And it's a humanistic ideal that really will all just kind of come together and we'll all just agree to disagree and, and everything will be fine. Well, again, how is that working? Not very successful. But in the church, it's happened. The globalist movement, the idea that somehow we're all going to come together under one world government and there's going to be a kumbaya, it's in no way patented. This isn't a new idea. God's already done it in his eternal kingdom, the church. We have it today. And so we don't need to be overly concerned or sensitive, although we get there regarding politics and the inflows and outflows of all different types of power, because guess what? We're already able to be members of the greatest kingdom the history of this world has ever known, the church of Christ. Because only in the church do we have Jew and Gentile, the most opposing classes of people to ever exist coming together. How opposed were they? Uh, Mike Gifford, I'm sure, can tell you all kinds of uh, content from the Minor Prophets. I can't find, there he is, uh, where you find all kinds of accounts of the Gentile people and nations doing atrocities to God's Old Testament people slaughtering pigs on the altar, hating each other. God says peace is now going to exist in one body. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning there in verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, these people of Ephesus were Gentile predominantly, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. There was an identity between each of you, and you each knew the identity of the other. That at that time, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who had made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Drop down to verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit.
Folks, the only way that we are going to be able to be at peace, true eternal peace, is when we put aside our opinions, our allegiances, our dedications, our former way of thinking, lifestyle, and identity. And we say, mine doesn't matter, yours doesn't matter, none of it matters, but Christ. He is the one that unifies all of us. Why? Because only under him are we all wrong and only he is right. You try that with some other ideologies. What happens? Crumbles. That's why they're so easy to argue against. The secular humanists love to tout who? Darwin. Folks, Darwin was a racist, an actual racist. The woke world of today would have him utterly destroyed and raped over the gold. But yet he's one of their heroes. You got a problem. There's inconsistencies. Not so in Jesus Christ. Not my page. It's not your page. It's the page of the gospel of Christ. It's delivered graciously to us. Isaiah will tell us in chapter 11 and in verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Just stop there. Think about that. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Something's going on here. That doesn't happen. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Seen those movie previews for the movie Beast? It's got the uh, same guy that's on the commercials for bookings.com, bookings.yeah. I don't know if that movie's a good movie. I don't know if it's appropriate. I'm in no way endorsing it, but I've seen the previews, and let me tell you this. I would not want to be facing a lion, and I don't care what kind of firepower I have. I don't really want to be close to one. I don't even know if on a safari, in a truck. But yet here we read that the calf will lie down with the lion. You want to talk about diversity? Wait a second. You want to talk about inclusion? You want to talk about unbounded, incomprehensible peace? The world doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. But our Lord, Through the church of Christ, 
faithful to the gospel, we get access to it. What a blessing. You know, when I look here at the book of Ephesians, and I contemplate this Gentile people, as Paul points out there by inspiration in chapter 2, I find something interesting when I look back in the book of Acts concerning this congregation. There were some folks at Ephesus who had already been baptized, had already been immersed in water. But not for the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ. And we learn as Paul comes across them, asking them what they were baptized into in verse 3 as he then describes for them the need to be baptized into Christ, verse 4. That verse 5 tells us this congregation at Ephesus, those who he is writing in Ephesians chapter 2 that we just read a few minutes ago, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I remember when Hannah and I were in Durham, North Carolina, and a now sister of ours. We got an opportunity to visit there earlier this year. She is still there, faithful. And we were door knocking in the area and she actually was looking forward to us coming and we, we saw her and she didn't know the truth yet. She started attending. And as we studied with her, remember one time Hannah was having a study with her and showing her this passage. She realized, wait a second, I, I've been baptized before, but I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't baptized into Christ. She wanted to be at peace with God. She wanted to become a member of the church through obedience to the gospel so that the Lord would add her to his body upon her obedience to his commandments. She did just that. Maybe you're here this evening and you've not yet been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Don't listen to me, except for what comes from right here. God has provided us these instructions. God has provided us his will. No man's idea or opinion is relevant whatsoever, but the word of God is what we can be assured of so that we can have peace with him and have the blessing of eternal life and peace with our fellow man as we thrive in the church of Christ. If you're here this evening and you're ready to obey the gospel, we're here to assist you in any way that we can. Brother or sister, if you've fallen away, you need prayers of the congregation, please come forward. Don't allow yourself to, to press on any longer not at peace with God with his people as much as life in you live peaceably with all are you doing that this evening if not you need to respond to the invitation it's here for you if you have any spiritual need won't you come forward